Hello, Hess Road Wesleyan youth, and welcome to another day of quarantine. Yeah, we have been in this thing for over a month now, and so I'm getting a little weary of it. I really don't have any updates on my life. It's basically been the same as it was before. But I do have a little bit of update, of an update on what I intend to do with this podcast. Now, I don't know exactly how many people are listening to the podcast, but what I've decided to do is I think I'm going to just start going through books of the Bible and kind of doing something similar to what I did with Colossians, but making this podcast a sort of a devotional repository so that for you guys, if you decide you want to read a certain book of the Bible, you can eventually, maybe it would take years, I don't even know, eventually you could at least go to the set of episodes that I have on that book. So as of right now, we already have one set of episodes that's about Colossians. And I'm going to move on to the book of Mark. And one of the main reasons that I want to do that is that I believe the Gospels are foundational for us. Foundational in a way that maybe even the Old Testament isn't foundational. Now, that might sound a little bit odd, but I believe that because the Gospels give us a direct account of the life of Jesus, they give us a direct account of God revealing himself in the form of a human being. So we get to see what God would be like, or what he was like, if he were a human, if he were somebody who walked on the earth today. And so I think Jesus' life helps us to understand God in a way that maybe the Old Testament can't. Now, I'm, I don't know, I, I don't want to overstate the case there, but I think it's important for us to know that the Gospels are foundational. So that's what I'm going to be going for here. So because nothing at all has happened in my life, I'd like to actually just dive right into the book of Mark. And before I get to the chapter, the first chapter of the book, I'd like to talk about a couple of details that might be helpful for you to know if you don't already know them. First, let's talk about the author of Mark. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery of who Mark was. There's a couple of distinct possibilities, but the possibility that's been held most in terms of tradition and I would say even in my opinion is the best view is that Mark is John Mark, who if you read in the book of Acts, he went on missionary journeys with Paul and Silas, but then he kind of ditched them, and then Paul was pretty upset about that, and Barnabas wanted to keep working with him. Uh, we do know that Paul had, or Mark sorry, has a relationship to Peter, um, and so a lot of scholars believe, and early church fathers believed, that the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel that Peter actually spoke to Mark, and then Mark wrote it down. Now again, we don't really know that for 100% sure, but it's a pretty good guess, and it's probably the guess that I would take. I want to talk a little bit about the date. Uh, we don't know the exact date that it was written, but we do seem to know that it is the earliest of all the Gospels that were written. It's the shortest, it contains the least amount of information, and it, it appears that Luke and Matthew in particular build their Gospels a little bit on the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark 
is kind of like a source material for them to work from. And then they can add, add to it, or maybe they take something away from Mark based on the needs of their audience. I don't want to dig too deep into that, but just to say that Mark is the earliest of the Gospels. Um, I've already mentioned that it's a short gospel. It's only 16 chapters long, so it's pretty quick. But I do want to mention that that shortness is really a part of Mark's style itself. Uh, the theme of the gospel is has to do a lot with immediacy. Things happen very quickly. Uh, the word immediate gets used a lot in the book itself. So the stories are quick. The pacing is very quick. Um, Mark is not necessarily going to be telling every little story about Jesus's life. There's a definite structure to his book, but it really is a, a quickly paced gospel. All right, so with that little bit of background, and it's not a whole lot of background on the book of Mark, but with that little bit of background in hand, let's go ahead and dive into the first chapter of the book of Mark. Now, here's where I think it would be a really good idea if you're following along with these podcasts to just pause the podcast and read the first chapter of Mark once through. So go ahead and do that right now. Now, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention a little bit to some of the literary features of this. Now, part of what I believe is we become better readers of the Bible when we understand how the authors are trying to write, when we understand how the literature is structured. So what's super fascinating to me about the first chapter of Mark is that Mark really just comes out with a bang. And he does some things that are really interesting. But by the end of that chapter, it's kind of a downer. Let's go through it a little bit. So at the very beginning, the first line is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right up front, Mark is telling us who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Okay, So Mark is making no bones about that up front. He wants his audience, he wants you and me to know that he sees Jesus as the Son of God. And then he jumps straight away. He, we've got, as it is written, and he, he quotes Isaiah, and then John's appearing. So we get no birth story, which you see in Matthew and Luke. No birth story at all. Uh, we don't have any accounts of his childhood, uh, like the, the time when he's in the synagogue at age 12. We get nothing like that. We just, we jump straight from, hey, this is about Jesus, the Son of God, to here's John the Baptist. <laughs> And John the Baptist, again, there's not a whole lot we get to know about him. He's baptizing, um, he's, he's proclaiming the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. He's in Judea and Jerusalem, which are in the south of Israel. People are going out to him, he's getting lar large crowds. Uh, but he's also saying to everybody that someone is going to come that's mightier than him. It's an obvious reference to Jesus. He's saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, boom, you know, we learn about John, and then right away, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John on the, board, on, on the Jordan. So Jesus is up here in Nazareth, which is in the northern part of Israel. 
Uh, if you're following along, you might want to even pause and pull up a map of Israel online, especially a map that details ancient Israel. And you'll see the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, but we call it the Sea of Galilee. It's up in the, the northern part of Israel, and it's got all these towns, Capernaum and and a bunch of other different towns. And look, a little bit to the west is Nazareth, and that's where Jesus was not born, but that's where he spent his childhood. So he has come down from Galilee, which is that region by the Sea of Galilee, and he's in Jerusalem now to get baptized. And when he gets baptized, we have another instance where a voice comes down from heaven and, the, and it proclaims, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So we have a second instance where Jesus is being proclaimed as the son of God, really openly, really blatantly. Then immediately, right away, uh, the Spirit immediately drives him out into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan, and he is with wild animals, and the angels are ministering to him. Now, if, if you're familiar at all with Matthew and Luke, you'll know that those Gospels kind of tell you a little bit about what happened out there in the desert. Mark doesn't. He just says he was tempted. He's out there for 40 days. He's with the wild animals. Boom. Then the next thing. Now, John gets arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the word of God, and he's saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I do want to pause on that for just one moment. The idea of repent and believe in the gospel is the core message that Jesus preaches in all of the gospel accounts when he begins his ministry. Now, after Jesus comes out and begins this ministry, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's preaching repentance, the next thing that happens in verse 16 is he starts to call his disciples. And I want you to take notice, especially if you're reading in the NIV, you'll see that the word immediately starts to come up. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, and then verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat uh, with the hired servants and followed him. So again, we got this idea of immediately. Things are happening very, very, very quickly. And now they've been called. And there's no real time of training, per se, or getting to know Jesus or anything like that. Immediately, in verse 21, they are off to Capernaum, which is back up in Galilee. And then immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And I think this part's really fascinating, where the scribes and everybody say that he teaches with authority, and they're sort of amazed by that. There's this whole situation where he encounters an unclean demon. I'm going to get to that in a moment, or an unclean spirit. I'll get to that in a moment, but again, I want to focus on the idea that these teachers are amazed at his authority. And the reason why I want to focus on that is because authority was something that would have been given to a rabbi at that time. So you, not just anyone, gets to get up and teach how they want to teach or interpret uh, the scriptures how they want to interpret it. You really have to go through a long line of education and instruction and mentorship before you're really allowed to start holding forth on your own uh, about how to interpret scripture. But these guys are looking at Jesus and they're saying, whoa, this guy's like in a new, in another league. He's a big deal. They, they hear his teaching and they know that it's special they know that it's unique. The other thing I want to point out from this tiny little section here is that when he encounters the demon, the demon recognizes him as well, the Holy One of God. So here's a third instance where Jesus is 
re like who he really is is recognized explicitly and up front. But Jesus rebukes him and says, be silent and come out of him. And he wants the demon to be quiet. I don't want you to talk anymore. And we're going to get to that in a, in a second here, or what's going on there in a second. So then he immediately goes to the synagogue and he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals a bunch of other people there. Uh, he leaves in verse 35. He departs, he goes out to a desolate, desolate place, he prays, Simon and those who are with him search, everyone's looking for you, so they go on to more towns, he goes all throughout Galilee, preaching in synagogues and casting out demons. So it sounds like this idea of going into a synagogue, preaching, and having authority is repeated over and over again throughout Galilee, and also meeting and casting out demons. But I want to point out one more thing. Uh, before I close here, we've got this story of Jesus healing a leper. And what I really want to do is skip down to verse 44. After he's healed him, Jesus says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay? So he tells this guy, Don't talk about this. I don't want you running around blabbing your mouth about what just happened here. Now, that's really strange, considering we've had three instances already in this gospel where Jesus' true stature as the Son of God, as the Holy One, has been really explicit. Now, Jesus is turning around and he's telling someone who's been healed not to talk about him. And then, in verse 45, Mark drives the point home again. He went out and began to talk, but he went out and began to talk freely about it. So this guy's been healed, and he talks about it anyway. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we get this idea that now that this guy's telling everybody, and everybody knows that Jesus can heal, Jesus can't like move around, because people are crowding around him too much, and he has to leave. He has to get away from those towns. He has to kind of do things in secret for right now. And that's a real change of pace from the blatant, open expressions of Jesus' real personhood. So that's all I have to say about Mark 1 uh, for right now. We'll move on to Mark chapter 2 in the next podcast. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed that. I hope you take the opportunity to get to know the Gospel of Mark really well. I know I'm enjoying reading it and reading a little bit about it as I go along. And I hope to see you soon. All right. Goodbye.